Welcome everyone to the Gov Navigator Show, a government-focused program that won't make you seasick. We're the Gov Navigators. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. We hope to enlighten and enliven your week with news and insightful, entertaining guests, all on the topic of government management. Enjoy today's episode of Gov Navigators, brought to you by the creative geniuses behind the award-winning podcast, FedHeads. Welcome to this year's final Gov Navigator show episode. I'm Robert Shea. I'm Adam Hughes, the last one of 2023. And as evidence that that is true, we couldn't muster a single guest on this 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 episode. We've run out of friends. I think that's the problem. Well, that's sad. We'll have to start recycling in the next year. Or make some new friends. That's right. Well, aren't you optimistic? All right. So... What I would challenge us to do then, since we don't have anyone else to kill time with, let's go through the stories that we thought were the biggest ones in 2023, which is going to be tough because it was kind of a, um innocuous year. Not a lot happened. Is that fair? Well, <clears throat> I know I might have reviewed every Gov Navigator's policy update. By the way, if, you, if you're not signed up for our weekly policy updates, you are missing out. Go to our website. Scroll down a little bit. You'll get a pop-up. Just put your email in. You're missing a weekly treat. And if you want to read all of 2023s, apparently Adam has them at his fingertips and can send them to you. Let, yeah, shoot me an email and I'll send them to you. So I reviewed all of them. We packed a lot of content in to a very digestible, funny update every week. Congratulations. I'm, pr- I'm pretty proud of us. So what was your fifth top story? Is, is fifth top story the right way to put that? What? Fifth most crucial theme? Yeah, whatever. I think folks can tell that we don't necessarily plan too far in advance for these podcasts. What's your number five? (laughs) Number five. I think number five is that it was the year of CX. So customer experience has come into its own. It's two years almost to the date of the release of the customer experience executive order from the Biden administration. And, And those who've been working in this area and watching this for a long time know that CX inside government has also been around for a long time. But this is really the first year that I notice that you really can't swing a dead cat without hitting somebody in a federal agency talking about the importance of CX. Yeah, I hope Poppy didn't hear you say that. It's mean. I didn't see Poppy in the room, so I thought it was safe. <laughs> Tons of progress at agencies who are implementing CX initiatives, improving service, and seeing great outcomes because of their efforts to focus on customer experience. Yeah, you know, last week we experienced celebration OMB of the second anniversary of the CXEO and made significant progress grouping agencies activities focused on certain life experiences, you know, transitioning from service to civilian life, a financial shock, various different life experiences where they've grouped agencies together to help them make sure we're meeting the citizen where they are in in navigating those experiences. So they promised to show significant measurable progress improving the customer experience in the year or more ahead. Yeah, and you know, the person doesn't care which agency they have to interact with when they have something one of those life events happened. They just want the government to be able to provide the service in an easy, frictionless way. So, looking forward to seeing some great progress on those areas. What was your fifth most important? You know, you and I usually talk about the thing that that's least likely to trip you up on the way to a a nomination or confirmation is a lack of experience. Um, But 
this year we saw two nominations of people with significant experience, Danny Werfel to IRS and Martin O'Malley to the Social Security Administration. I think it's fair to say both have a very well-respected management pedigree and high expectations of how those will be applied in improving the operations of agencies that desperately need that kind of attention. And one certainly has been making a lot of progress in place at the IRS, Commissioner Werfel. And the second, we're we're sort of on pins and needles waiting to see for the Senate to move forward and confirm his nomination. It's widely expected that he will be confirmed. That was me knocking on wood. Uh, what about <laughs> what about your number four? Number four, I have, you know, sort of a similar theme to CX, but I think, you know, in, in some ways, more activity in this area in the government this year, cybersecurity is front and center. The number of memos and policy releases and initiatives uh, in the executive branch on cybersecurity this year is, is borderline overwhelming. So there is a national cybersecurity strategy. There is a major cyber EO there was a skills strategy that was released to make sure that people coming into the government and in cyber positions in the private sector have the necessary skills for America to be able to compete moving forward. NIST updated their cyber framework. They put out a version 2.0 for comment. DHS has rolled out a couple of rules in the last couple months that are impacting federal contractors with new cybersecurity requirements. Cyber is everywhere. And, you know, probably important that it is given some of the advances in AI and the increases in hacks and cyber attacks and cyber warfare that we've seen this year. Yeah, I was about to call you out for not mentioning those, but it's like watching your local police department's Twitter feed. Are they reporting more or is there a spike? I mean, (laughs) it's fair to say there won't be a diminution of hacks, but our ability to report them and mitigate them is improving. And hats off to CISA for really leading the way in promoting attention when we're hacked, patches, fixes, mitigations to make us more secure in the future. And we had Mitch Herkus, our friend from OMB, on to the GovNavigator show. That podcast is available if you want to go back. He he can rattle off the numbers and memo numbers that were put out for cyber this year. Certainly worth your time to go back. And also, I think, you know, what we've heard from folks inside government is that the feedback has been there's even though there's more activity and more written policies, the focus on what agencies should be really honing in on in cybersecurity is much better. And the data that they're collecting to measure progress has also improved. So it's not just that there's more, there's, it's also better than it used to be. What was your number four? OMB recently celebrate with great fanfare the second anniversary of the president's management agenda. And I think there was like a party and cake and a photo booth. I was not invited, not bitter. Not at but, all. But, uh, you know, it, it is, I look for every opportunity to bring attention to efforts to address major management challenges. So I want to congratulate him for taking a moment to celebrate this as an accomplishment we talked about the progress they've made in improving customer experience, human capital improvements and acquisition and financial management also showed improvement. Perhaps more importantly, they have transformed performance.gov, other management-focused websites to be more transparent about the goals and progress that agencies are making addressing these big problems. So two thumbs up for me. That's four. Moving on. What's What's your number three? So number three, uh, I have artificial intelligence. It's 
fairly odd that that's only number three on my uh, list. I, I was think. about to say number three. What have you been living under a rock? Well, you know, two, two and one are big. I saved the big ones for the for the end. But artificial intelligence, Senator Schumer started talking early in the year about the need for a framework and guardrails. So folks in Congress had been engaged from the beginning of the year. The Biden administration put out a groundbreaking executive order on artificial intelligence just just a little bit ago, about a month ago. Are you um, reading from there talking? Was it really groundbreaking? I think I don't know if it was. I guess anything in this area is groundbreaking. Yeah, anything. That, yeah, exactly. I think the scope of what they put in the executive order is is fairly unprecedented. The it touches multiple agencies across the government, every agency, but but multiple agencies are leading task force and working groups to study AI. It touches the private sector. And, you know, all the developments in the private sector on AI uh, have been, it feels like every week there's a new update that says, no, 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 it's way better than it was last week. And I was actually at, at a pretty great presentation a few months ago, listening to someone talk about it, who said, this is the dumbest AI you will ever use. And you can say that pretty much every month. This is the dumbest AI you will ever use. So yeah. lots of potential, lots of risks. And I think seeing the government, both the executive and the legislative branch, I think try to move at a pace to try to put some, some at least something down on agreements about how AI should be used inside government, but also in the private sector, I think is a positive. Yeah, I don't think our minds can grasp what this will bring about. And I think the, the government trying to grapple with it, trying to ensure that we can move forward safely and ethically uh, is critical. What I'm disappointed in is that you failed to mention a huge opportunity missed to mention an OMB M memo. They released uh, at the same time the EO was released draft memo that it really gonna break down concretely what agencies need to do to bring more governance to the agency's adoption of AI. Open for comments, so be interested to see what kind of comments they get, but it'll be a, a new memo to mention in the new year. Agreed. And one of my honorable mentions for this list was the number of times that either OMB, the White House, or agencies asked for public comment on things. I think it's certainly an uptick from previous years. And whether it's window dressing or they're actually going to intake input from the public and update their guidance and policies, yet to be seen. But either way, I think it's good. Okay, Robert, what's your number three? My number three, shocker. There's fraud uh, going on in here. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You win, sir. Oh, thank you very much. The Small Business Administration Inspector General released an estimate of fraud in COVID programs that pegged the number around $200 billion. So that, that almost exceeds overall annual improper payments that programs make. So it just shows that we, in order to get the money out fast, had to suffer a staggering amount of waste. Hopefully we will have learned those lessons. We know a lot more about what we need to do to prevent fraud. It's whether agencies are gonna take those actions or be able to take them nimbly to prevent fraud in the future. The agencies probably should be doing that regardless, but Congress could also write in the legislation approving these massive amounts of funding that there need to be provisions to prevent fraud, which of course, as I've mentioned many times, they did not do this time. Yeah. So yes. I also thought it was interesting too, related to that, that the, the release on improper payments from the government 
recently talked about how the how they're down except if you have if you get rid of all the the programs that have all the improper payments then the improper payment rate has improved yeah the hair on the back of my neck is raising because it was a tortured way of reporting this number it's like other than that mrs lincoln how was the play (laughs) exactly so moving on uh, what's your number two My number two is the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Yes, a piece of legislation made it to number two on the list. For those of you who are not closely following this, the Fiscal Responsibility Act is the agreement between President Biden and then Speaker Kevin McCarthy to raise the debt ceiling, avoid a unprecedented default on debt for the United States. And it came with a few other bells and whistles, one of which, which is still around, which is a 1% sequester and across the board cut to appropriations if Congress does not pass all appropriations bills by the spring. I think, yeah, that agreement, you'll recall, came in the dark of night. It surprised almost everybody. And I mean, blessedly, that has has bumped the next time we get to fight over that issue, the debt limit, to almost immediately upon the swearing in of the new Congress after the next presidential election. Do you remember who it didn't surprise? Uh, Charles Cooper. Our good friend Charles Cooper for Meaty Group. Boy. He still has a perfect record prognosticating on our podcast. Tasted like vinegar. I'm just saying that. (laughs) What about the above the fold issues like the budget and the debt ceiling? What's your prognosis for resolving those two big issues? Those type of issues do not get done unless they are literally staring over the cliff as a forcing mechanism. So I wouldn't expect them to reach a debt ceiling agreement uh, to this point because it's not needed at this point. They'll wait till the last minute when it's needed, when there is real motivation to get it done. And the same, the serious policymakers are coming together behind the scenes to work some of these things out. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that, that they will. It may be a little rocky and a little scary on the way there. <laughs> And, you know, maybe that gives time for Congress to just get rid of the requirement to raise the debt limit. Pretty much anyone who's focused on this issue thinks that it's dumb that they have to then pass a law to say, oh, well, we could we'll raise the debt limit. We'll pay the bill for what we said we were going to. Right. Why limit the amount of debt you take on? Have you met my wife? (laughs) Well, she's heavily involved in making sure GovNavigator stays solvent. So I appreciate her (laughs) efforts in this particular instance. All right. What's your number two? So, you know. That fight we just mentioned got Speaker McCarthy in a lot of hot water. And what other year can you remember in which we had four speakers? I, I'm not sure I can remember any. We we started with Nancy Pelosi, who was, of course, going to hand over the gavel to whomever the Republicans elected. And that was easy. I'm just kidding. It was a tortuous couple of days before we could actually get a speaker over the line. I think 15 votes, right? Until McCarthy was approved. Kevin McCarthy was elected speaker, joyously took the gavel, made a few pivotal decisions, and was promptly shown the door. (laughs) For those of you who have listened to the GovNavigators podcast from the beginning, there are a number of occasions where I might be out over my skis a little bit congratulating Speaker McCarthy for his mature and adult approach to negotiating in matters of national importance. Somebody may have said. What'd that get him? What'd that get him? Adam Hughes is praising you. You must be doing something wrong. <laughs> There's I think no that's chance a, the Freedom Caucus the right, will support the right you anymore. Uh, but, and so 
so then we had uh, Patrick McHenry took over the gavel temporarily while we flailed around and elected Mike Johnson. How long do you think he's going to last? If Charles should come back, because that that'll be a that'll be a hard one to predict. Speaker Johnson did manage to get a CR in place and avoid a shutdown and has not faced a vote of no confidence. So hit me with it. Just give it to me straight. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! I mean, still TBD on whether that shutdown is avoided in 2024, but... It'll be like the Triple Lindy, because he's got the the January 19th, February 2nd, CR dates that he's got to navigate. And the 1% sequester that he didn't negotiate. A lot lot to manage. All right, drum roll, please. (laughs) What is your number one? My number one is launch of the Gov Navigators. Hey, coincidentally, so is mine. Really? Come yes. on. What are the chances? <laughs> Shocker. I so I for it was either that or the FaceAB updates. I mean, I had those pretty high <laughs> too for leasing accounting standards. We did cover that a lot this year. I mean, FaceAB machinations over lease accounting is a critical issue. I, I mean, I think you're belittling it. It was close, close runner-up for me for number one. So yeah, so Gov Navigators launched in 2023, and that is my that is I would say head and shoulders above the other items, certainly yeah. for me personally. I agree. It was a big change. We were nervous about doing it, but I think we've you know we get dozens of listeners to the podcast, maybe in the single digits reading our newsletter. Uh, countless clients. No, actually, we can count them on two hands. But they're we all, love everyone. They're, they're all wonderful. Exactly. We love they're everyone. Wonderful. And and we've had a lot of fun too. Yeah, we sure have. We sure have. And we get to do it again next year. God willing. Yep, indeed. And so I got a whole bunch of honorable mentions here, but I'm not sure we're going to have time for that. You know, we lost some folks this year, too. Invariably, we do. It's Yeah, uh, it, it happens every a, year, sadly. The cycle of life. Some notables in the government management and public policy arena uh, are a friend of Gov Navigators, Charlie Clark, longtime mm. journalist covering federal government management and local politics in Arlington, Virginia. Time reporter at Government Executive who did a fantastic job covering important issues related to the government operations, but also a sweet, lovely man. True. Uh, he, he is already sorely missed. Uh, some of the others probably most folks have heard of. Henry Kissinger, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, first female Supreme Court justice. Uh, Rosalind Carter, President Carter's wife, and and an almost Senator Ernst, who, when choking during a Senate lunch, had Senator Paul, who is a doctor, come and perform the Heimlich maneuver on her to prevent her from choking to death. So thank goodness for that and for the quick and, and smart actions of Senator Paul. That must have been exciting. You know, I learned something interesting about Sandra Day O'Connor. She used to date William Rehnquist. And William Rehnquist proposed marriage to her, and she turned him down. Come on. I'm not kidding. That's been verified. That's been fact-checked. It's been verified. 
Wow. That would have been that would have been love, a power couple right there. Love, love, love on the court. <laughs> and it could have launched its own its own reality show too at the same time. So, so may God rest their souls. But uh so we can't end on that morbidity. Funny things, some humorous things worth ending on must have happened. So many, many in my mind. And those of those of you who have followed Gov Navigators this year know that we like to make sure that we're highlighting some funny things along the way. So I made a list, Robert. I don't know if you did you pick your your top hilarious things that happened in or around government this year? I did. So my there was a long list. I mean, we do work in and around Washington, D.C. There's plenty to laugh about, (laughs) though. It's not funny that the House had to expel one of its members, but perhaps one of the funniest or most bizarre things was Senator Fetterman hired George, recently expelled George Santos to tape a cameo. This is where you sort of rent a famous person's time to record a video message, for those not knowing, for Senator Menendez about how to to survive in light of these uh, searing um, accusations, and in this case, indictments. Senator Menendez, who is up to his neck in <laughs> legal troubles, <laughs> some of which span the globe. Right, right. If you're getting advice from George Santos, it's time to stop digging. I think, I think essentially Santos said, uh, hey, Bob, haters going to hate. Shake it <laughs> off. You're going to be fine. <laughs> which, you know, I think Menendez might go to jail. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see I if would, that's true. Well, it'd be funny if they were in the same prison. They, they are Ooh. both in the Northeast. Both true. Sort of federal. You know, it's possible. Be, be wild. Maybe they would request to to bunk together. There's like a sitcom in there somewhere. I feel like they could both wear horrendous sweaters. Yeah, it's like all in the family in prison. Oh, okay. <laughs> Santos did. He brought a lot of laughs. If, oh, if, you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go watch any floor speech he gave while he was in the house. What a weirdo. What a, <laughs> they're, what a they're total weirdo. Yes. Spent campaign dollars for Botox, among the least of his offensive offenses. Oh, gosh. And what about you? I I just I had a really hard time picking. You know, there's the Air Force contract that was canceled because they received too many bids from contractors. I guess folks at the Air Force procurement shop don't want to work that hard. There was the there was the U.S. military pilot who crashed his plane and then called 911 from some guy's backyard. Uh, That was pretty funny. You're cheating. You're like listing a bunch. I am. Look at me. I'm taking I'm taking the initiative. There was the OMB guidance that was released five years late. That was pretty funny for the 21st century. <laughs> That's hysterical. Idea. My gosh, you're, you're like you're did, leaving did, me in stitches. Did it get like was it put in a file drawer that no one knew where it was? And everyone was like, oh, well, I guess we won't do it. Like the guy in an airplane who accidentally unplugs the lights. <laughs> Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Exactly. Exactly. You know, one of the ones, one of my particular favorites was the $1.4 million speeding ticket that was issued in Georgia. <laughs> I promise we were not drinking during the taping of this. <laughs> but my my pick, my top one, and, you know, maybe other people won't find this funny, but I found it pretty hilarious, is the, the finally, after an almost 15-year process, GSA awarded the, the site for the new FBI headquarters. The FBI headquarters currently is downtown. It's old and outdated and pretty ugly. 
and they awarded it to Maryland. Maryland and Virginia have been competing at Metro facility in Greenbelt, Maryland. And the thing that's really funny about this is that the FBI doesn't want to move there. <laughs> so GSA is performing the service of finding a new place for the FBI headquarters to go. You'd think they'd ask for input from the FBI. They did. Apparently not. It's a weird function of federal real estate that that the tenants don't really have don't have a huge say in where they're going to be located. True. Unfortunate part is that the FBI is maybe one of the one of the tenants in the federal government that has a little more say than others. Uh, particularly funny too was the the woman who is in charge of this at GSA shortly before it was announced left her her position. Oh, she got which, the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, right? which of course yeah. really willing to you know it's your right to do. And then because the she's met Jerry Connolly, she's met Jerry Connolly. So then the FBI director, right, and Senator Warner and some of the politicians from Virginia, they they rolled up their sleeves to fight this decision. So it's it's probably going to be, I'm guessing, at least another 10 to 15 years before the headquarters actually gets built. God bless them. So, Maybe they ought to, they ought to room with the wizards or the caps uh, <laughs> moving to they, Alexandria. They, I feel like they've got a lot of space down there now. We it's got true. Amazon, we got the wizards and the caps, and now we just need the, the hat trick with the FBI. The Vir- Virginia is, it's hopping. It's hopping. hopping. Yeah. All right. Well, Meli Kaliki Maka, my friend, it's been a great year. And, Fantastic. And looking forward to the next one. Enjoy the holidays. Same to you and hope everyone has a safe, restful, and enjoyable holiday. And we'll talk to you all in 2024. Malakalikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright, the sun to shine by day and all the stars at night. Malakalikimaka is a wise way to say Merry Christmas to you. Malakalikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright, the sun to shine by day and all the stars at night. Melikalikimaka is Hawaii's way to say Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gov Navigator Show, brought to you by Gov Navigators. We sure hope you enjoyed it and learned something in the process. And didn't get seasick. Right, of course. If you want to know more about us and what we're up to, please follow us on social media or visit govnavigators.com. Ahoy!